Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Ephesians 2, 13-18 But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Thank you, Jenny, so much for reading that. Jenny, if you don't know, is one of our amazing frontline workers, qualified and started as a dentist in the middle of the pandemic. I am pretty sure we can trust her with our teeth if that's how she has begun, with all of those masks and everything else. Um, Now, speaking of dentists, um, do you get anxious going to the dentist? I get anxious, but not because of the drills and the clippy things and the sharp pointy things. Actually, I get anxious about what a dentist can tell about you just by looking in your mouth. And it doesn't help that my dentist is actually my brother-in-law, so it's even more exposing. Um, Dentists can just look at the shape of your teeth, the state of your gums, the quality of your enamel, the color of your teeth, even your breath. And they will immediately get an idea of whether you drink too many fizzy drinks, overdose on coffee, smoke too much. Um, Perhaps you've got a sort of unhealthy lifestyle in general. Um, Maybe you just are so stressed in the mornings you don't have time to properly brush your teeth. They can tell all of these things. If you're grinding your teeth, they can definitely see it. And all of these are sort of surface level symptoms of something going on underneath. They're not necessarily the ultimate problem. The problem is often what's going on deep down inside of us. And I think if I could just simplify it, it's a general lack of peace in our hearts, in our souls, in our internal beings. And that lack of peace is what we're speaking about today, because that lack of peace is actually what Jesus came into this world to solve. And it goes deeper than we think, and that's what we're going to explore so here in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17, we've, we're given, a, it's almost like a time travel button that takes us back 700 years, I hope you'll see, to a time when Israel was not in a state of peace at all. It was lacking in peace from every direction. There was threats from all sides of invading forces and especially the Babylonian Empire that were going to come and take them captive. They were facing all of this and Isaiah was one of the prophets of doom, telling them what was going to happen to them. But he was also a prophet and a poet of peace and hope. He spoke in this most magnificent language about a future day when someone would come on behalf of God and bring peace and create a state of peace in this world. And that poetry is what we're going to listen to now. It's been put together amazingly by our genius musician, Matt Isaac, and his wife. So just sit back and let this wash over you, this incredible poetry from Isaiah. Isaiah 
there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 52 In that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah 57 I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. But I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Now, isn't that just a genius description of some, uh, something lacking peace? This raging sea throwing up muck and mire onto the surface. Nowadays, it would be chemicals and plastic bottles. But this raging sea is such a good description of a lack of peace. But notice what Isaiah is describing. He's not simply describing a society with societal problems. I think I, I looked at a book recently called Peace in the Age of Chaos, and it's looking at the various institutions and the ways that you can measure peace in the world. And it's suggesting, and this is true, I think, that many of the problems are caused by a lack of peace. Climate change, uh, reducing biodiversity, this separation of the rich and the poor, and this unequal distribution of a vaccine that's free to some and not free to others. And all of that is serious, but actually what Isaiah is suggesting is that is just the muck and the mire on the surface of what's going on. And the raging sea is not just a, a sort of corrupt society. Actually, he's describing this as a human being. 
This is not the state of society, it's the state of humanity and human beings in general. We are like these raging seas that occasionally have moments, ebbs and flows, moments of calm on the surface. But underneath there is this deep unrest, there is this deep angst in the very trenches of our souls that can be caused by different circumstances and situations. Covid and everything that's happened this year has thrown so many people off and probably rightly so we've experienced some sort of distress about that but that in some fashion is just like very strong winds over the waves that tosses them up temporarily into this frenzy. But actually what Isaiah is getting at and what Jesus wants to get at is the deeper level angst and tension and turmoil that goes on under the surface in the very depths of our souls. That's what Jesus came to solve, was to bring peace into that part of us, into that part of humanity. And that angst and lack of peace is not caused by circumstances, it's caused by a broken relationship. Now, I think you'll agree that there's nothing like a broken relationship to cause a lack of peace. If you're not quite right with someone who you should be, someone who you're close to or meant to be close to, but there's a rift or a division in your relationship, it will create a serious stress. You will be feeling unrest, even subconsciously. You might not be able to sleep, you might not be able to eat. It affects the way that you think, even the way that you're spending your time and your money can all be affected just because a relationship is even slightly broken or not quite right. The Bible says that actually all of this lack of peace from the very bottom of our souls is caused by a broken relationship with God, our creator. And it's not that we're just slightly off, that we're having a bad day or we've gone AWOL and drifted away slightly from him. No, the Bible uses more vicious and, uh, and potentially um, more dramatic language than that. It says that we are hostile towards, our minds are hostile towards God in their natural state. We are enemies of God. We are actually on the other side. We are in the other armed forces fighting against God. That's the problem that Jesus comes to solve in this world. Now, you might say, I don't feel like I'm, I'm anti-God or hostile towards God. And that might be because Jesus has solved the problem in your life. And so you don't need to pretend like you are, you're not. But it might also be because you just haven't quite acknowledged it or realised it. My dentist, my brother-in-law, uh, when I saw him a couple of years ago, told me that I grind my teeth. And I didn't believe him at first. I'd never noticed myself doing it. And then he said, well, do you feel a tightness in your neck, a sort of aching in your joints around your mouth? Do you get headaches? Do you sometimes wake up and think, how did I, why did I have such a bad night's sleep? And I was like, tick, 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 tick. Um, and he said, well, those might be symptoms of you uh, grinding your teeth. And it turned out, as I left the dental practice, that I discovered that I was immediately grinding my teeth. And I don't think he caused it, he just opened my eyes to something that had been going on all this time that I just had not seen. Point out the symptoms and then you start to realise, oh crikey, there's a lot going on. That's what Jesus does. When Jesus comes into this world, he shines a light on us and illuminates certain things that we didn't even realise were going on inside of us. 
The best way, I think, or one of the ways that illustrates it best, to see whether we are hostile towards God is to see how we respond to the message of Jesus that's coming up, that I'm about to speak about. How do we respond to that? Do we reject it out of hand? Do we resist it? Are we slightly antagonistic or do we embrace it? We're going to see that happening in the next part of this story as Jesus sends out his followers to preach this message of peace to the world around him. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is put before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and, do not and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Cherazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now you've got this scene of Jesus, the root from the stump of Jesse. He was directly in the line of King David and Jesse, King David's father. Um, and he is now gathering this crowd, sending them out to preach the message of peace and offer peace, a peace treaty to the world around them, the surrounding area of Jerusalem and, uh, and other towns. And they were going to see how people respond. Now, you can imagine the scenario slightly. Jesus says to them, you guys are like sheep and I'm sending you out amongst wolves. And immediately they're thinking, oh, oh my goodness. And then he says, 
But remember, Isaiah prophesied a day when the wolf would lie down with the lamb, when actually the wolf would give up their carnivorous ways, become vegetarian, and you, can, you could be friends together, the most unlikely people becoming uh, companions because of this peace of God. And you're like, oh, that sounds better. But some of the houses will be full of wolves that will try and rip you apart. And you're thinking, oh, crikey. So your immediate thought there is, well, Jesus, would you mind just telling us which houses to go to and which ones to avoid? And at that, Jesus would say, no, this message has to be for everyone. It's a, it's a message that we want to preach to those who are near and those who are far away. Everyone must hear this message. I don't want you to have favourites. I don't want you to show preference. I don't want you to try and second guess who God is more likely to save because of their current lifestyle. No, people aren't more likely to become Christians than others. I want you to go out into every house and offer this to anyone who, and see how they respond. So as a disciple, you then think, Jesus, would you mind coming with us then, rather than just sending us? And at that, he would correct us and say, I am with you every step of the way. You've got my authority, you've got my power, You've got my presence with you. It's my name that you're taking into these places. My reputation, it's me that they will accept or reject. It's not necessarily you. So go on behalf of me as my ambassadors and you are my representatives. I am with you. Later on, he would be with us by, by his spirit. So he sends them out in this fashion, but just before they go, they're thinking, you said we've got power? from on high. I don't feel the tingly feeling. I don't feel very supercharged. Could you just give me a bit of reassurance? To that, he might say, well, you've been watching too much Power Rangers. You don't get this like moment of supercharged down, down payment from heaven of feeling tingly, and then that's what makes you go out. No. It's as you go that you will experience and realise the power and the authority that I've given you. It's as you speak this message, it's as you knock on the door, it's as you open your mouth to speak this, this is when you will realise how much power and authority I've given you. And then they go out. Now, as Jesus is waiting for them to return, just notice a few things. He hasn't given them a set of practices or policies to go out, a bit like a politician knocking on doors saying, hey, we'd like to change the slight environment, we'd like to change society a little bit to make it nicer for everyone. It's far more radical than that. Jesus isn't just saying, here's a few ideas that I've got to make your life a bit more peaceful. Take these on board and you'll have a happier life. No, he is asking for their fully fledged, full allegiance to him. It's far more personal. It's whether you accept him or reject him. It's not whether you accept his ideas or reject his ideas. It's whether you accept him or not. Because he is the king of the kingdom of light, of this nation of peace. And it's whether we pledge our allegiance to him, that is the litmus test to see whether we're hostile to God or not. That's what the disciples would find out. And they come back buzzing. Hey, we've seen great success. We've seen healings, we've seen situations change, we've seen people turn to you, Jesus. At that point, Jesus doesn't belittle them and say oh great but we've got thousands and millions more why are you getting excited about these ones he also doesn't 
downplay it and say, oh, yeah, but this was Israel, these were Jews, they were more likely to say yes. No, Jesus upscales it. He says, hey, guys, you didn't even realize I saw Satan falling from heaven when you were doing this stuff. I saw that you had authority to stamp on scorpions and snakes, this evocative language of the kingdom of darkness that you are stamping on and taking authority over. This is even more wonderful than you think. But, but don't rejoice. Don't find all of your satisfaction. Don't find your peace of mind in your success. Because there will be moments when you go out and preach peace to the world and everyone will reject you. You will get zero out of a hundred. I don't want you to feel completely deflated and depleted at that moment because that's not on you. It's their responsibility whether they accept this or reject it. It's not yours. You need to find your peace and your peace, peaceful state of mind in the fact that your name is written in heaven. You are essentially with my Father in heaven. That is your destination. It is sorted. So you don't have to get anxious about how people will respond. Go out lovingly, faithfully, preach this message and the results are not on you. I think that is a message that I really need to hear. I think it's a message the disciples needed to hear as well. But there's one final question from one of the disciples, the sort of smart aleck in the corner of the room going, Jesus, we've just spoken about peace and that's very good, but where's the action? Uh, what, what, how is God actually going to do this? Is it just by words? And Jesus pauses and replies, no, it's going to be through bloodshed. But whose blood is shed will be a surprise. That's where the prophecy of Zechariah 9 comes in and forms a bit of the background to this scene. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. The Roman Empire were very proud of their Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that they had established across such a huge area. But they had done it through the bloodshed of their enemies. Anyone who had disagreed with them, anyone that was against them, anyone that caused a disturbance would either be just completely suppressed or would be forced into submission, or would be shamed through crucifixion, all of these kinds of things, in order to bring about a state of peace. Because people tend to create a state of peace for people who are like them, people who like them, people who are like-minded, and they squash or separate or push out those who are not like them. It comes through bloodshed. Nowadays, it's very similar. In many places around the world, people are trying to establish their own kingdoms based on the bloodshed of their enemies. But even here in the UK and 
perhaps in the West where there aren't physical fights going on as such, but it's through words, it's through tweets, it's on social media. There is such vitriol between political parties. Uh, the allegiances that people have, it's like wolf packs at each other's throats, and it's just whichever wolf pack is strongest will create a state of peace for themselves. Jesus creates a state of peace through bloodshed, but it's quite different. Jesus throws himself to the wolves. He puts himself in the middle of the fight between Jews and Romans, but also between Jews, Romans, and God. It's this, ultimately, this fight of man versus God. Jesus puts himself right in the middle of that, hanging on a cross, bleeding, because this peace treaty could only be signed with his blood as he takes the full hostility of mankind against God, but also the righteous hostility of God against mankind for all the wrongs we have done. Jesus takes the wrath of God on the cross in the moment of his crucifixion to bring about a state of peace for anyone who would accept it. But I just want you to see something in that moment, in the scene of Jesus's crucifixion, the tragic irony of what's going on, what's happening beneath his feet. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Did you see that moment when Jesus is speaking these words of peace? He's saying, Father, forgive these people for doing this. They don't know what they're doing. It's so deep down inside of them. They don't realise this hostility that's between them and you. And in that moment, tragically, the Jews and the Romans are actually unified. These people who were sworn enemies were actually in a state of peace temporarily at the foot of Jesus who was hanging on the cross. But it was in order to benefit from his death. They were dividing up his garments, they were both sort of unified in this sense of get rid of Jesus so that we can carry on our lives as we see fit. All at the same time that Jesus is making genuine peace available to them and their ears are deaf to his words. It does just show that it is even possible for mankind to be brought into a state of temporary but false peace around Jesus's death. And that just highlights the importance of the Holy Spirit, because it's only the Holy Spirit that will truly turn someone who is an enemy to God into a friend of God through the death of Jesus. That's in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for through Jesus, we both, the Jews and the Gentiles, now have access in one spirit to the Father. That was Jesus's mission, to bring people back into a right relationship with God, but it could only be made absolutely real in someone's heart and in someone's being 
by the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus on the cross wasn't sufficient to make that change happen in someone. The Holy Spirit must do it. And that's why we must pray as a church. We're praying together through these 40 days leading up to Lent. Every single day we're praying in different ways that God's kingdom would come. And in order for that to happen, in order for people to be made at peace with God, we have to pray. This is a spiritual warfare. We must keep praying to see this radical regeneration happen in people's lives. So please, please join us in prayer in this season. I'm even going to pray now before I ask you one last question. Father, we simply ask that people would see what Jesus has done for them by your Holy Spirit. So please fill our church and fill this world with your spirit as we pray together in the lead up to Easter. Amen. Now, just one final question. Would you say that you are a prisoner of fear or a prisoner of hope? There's this amazing line at the end of that Zechariah prophecy that says, return to your strongholds, O prisoners of hope. That's what Jesus does in this world. Many people live as prisoners of fear. They can't but help worry about the future. They can't but help feel anxious. They can't but help think that things are just inevitably going to get worse and spiral out of control. And therefore they just have to seize the day and just live as if this is it, because things are going to get worse. That is a total contrast to the kind of people that Jesus is creating. Prisoners of hope. People who can't but help think that things are going to get better in the end. People can't but help hope for a future where there is Jesus reigning over all things. These people are those who can sit in the boat surrounded by the most catastrophic of waves and storms, no matter what muck and mire is being thrown up around them. And because they're in a boat with Jesus, they know that he has the power, the potential, and has promised to calm the storm. So even if it isn't calm now, they know that it can be and it will be. Those are prisoners of hope. And that's what we want to be as a church. Every single one of us, a prisoner of this kind of hope, who always longs and looks and believes in the better day that is coming. So let's pray now as we go into this response song that we would experience more of this in ourselves, this realisation of the peace that we have with God, and we pray for others as well. Father, thank you so, so much that you sent your son to make peace available between man and God, and then you sent your spirit to make that real in our hearts. And Lord, help us to realise this more today and in the future days, that we would be prisoners of hope, people who long for this better day and know that it is coming. Lord, in the situations around us, Lord, we pray for them to calm down. We pray for your radical word of peace to be preached out into our, uh, to our neighbours, to our friends, to our colleagues, to everyone. Lord, do it through us. Help us to be your ambassadors and ultimately let us cling to Jesus, who is our hope. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. 
visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.